Hey everybody, this is Chris Irwin, and welcome to the Rare Sense Podcast. This is something that I've wanted to add to the content I'm putting out at rarsense.substack.com, in addition to the blog articles I write for a while, but I just haven't gotten around to it until now. I'm not sure exactly the frequency I'm going to do this moving forward. It might be once a month, it might be every other month. I might be alternating articles and podcast episodes back and forth for a little while, but eventually I'd like to get it so that I'm putting out a podcast episode and a blog article every month. This is kind of coming about just because I keep having conversations with people about mind fitness that I think should be recorded and I think would be valuable for others to hear. My first guest today is Jeff Wiedenhofer. Jeff is a classmate and dear friend from the Naval Academy. He's a retired helicopter pilot, and then he went on to be a professional musician on Broadway as a guitarist. And now he's studying to be a licensed clinical psychotherapist at the University of Denver. Uh, He's studying to get a master's in social work. And with that, some of his training involves meeting with inpatients at a local hospital, but then also meeting with veterans at a VA clinic. So I think he's the perfect guest to kick things off here both as a veteran, and he talks a little bit about his his own mental health um, struggles, so to speak, and then now as someone who's helping work with veterans in that same space. We get into a lot of topics. We talk about repression, which I've spoken about before on my blog, and a whole bunch of other things around mind fitness. So I think it was a great conversation, and I hope everybody enjoys it. Quick disclaimer, Remember that I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, and nothing I say here should be construed as medical advice. If you need medical or psychiatric attention, please seek that from a licensed professional. Also note that any of the the opinions that I express here are my own, and they don't represent any organization I work for now, or in the past, or somebody else. With all that said, here's Jeff Wiedenhofer. Okay, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, the, Chris. The first episode ever. And I don't normally call you Jeff. It's <clears throat> it's weed. Uh, mm-hmm. And for anyone listening out there, that's just, I've, I don't even know, actually, when you were in the, like, the na- was that your call sign, too, as a pilot? Yeah, or did you have they, a different one? They made it weeds. Ah, okay. Put the S on the end. Why? And that's what people in high school called me. That's what people called my really? dad high school yeah oh okay we know we know for weeds we either one works okay so um i'm gonna assume most people listening to this are not familiar with you so give and i gave a quick kind of intro there at the beginning but but give a synopsis of your background and what you're doing now cool cool well i've known you chris for however many years um 30 1993 was ago right yeah Yeah. close to 30. 30 And uh, we had sort of similar paths in life for a while where we were both active duty. We went to Naval Academy. I was active duty for nine years, helicopter pilot, um, and then did some time in the reserves. Don't need to explain what that is. But what it means is I did 20 years sort of total in the Navy. I did four deployments to the Middle East. And um, after my 10 years of active duty, I moved to New York City and became a full-time professional performing musician. I got a lot of family members who were musicians, both sides, like college music profs and performers. So it wasn't a huge stretch for me, but it took me from kind of one side of the brain to the other and did professional music, um, 
eventually, after we left, my wife and our kids and I, we left New York City. I got a master's in music here where I live now in Boulder, Colorado at CU, uh, University of Colorado, Boulder, and finished it right as COVID hit. So I went from an aspiring, ambitious freelancer to just totally unemployed dude and um, went through a series of just questioning and a little depression and little disillusionment, disappointment in self and the world and all these things in the future and came around to another real passion of mine, which is mental health, which I really didn't know much about. But then I I started, I'm almost done now with a master's in social work at the University of Denver to be a clinical psychotherapist. Um, So I'm in this world. I work two days a week at a hospital in inpatient mental health, which is people there for real serious reasons, a variety of reasons. But um, I also work three days at a VA counseling center for combat vets. So um, and what's the little, like, do you have a little, you know, initial thing that'll end up after your name? Like I know there's like LCSW yeah. and there's some other things. What does that yeah. end up being something? That's, that's, a, that's, that's about right. When I graduate, I can, I can be an L, L or sorry, an LSW um, with my MSW master's in social work. But then it takes about two years of, of counseling under somebody's supervision, a licensed person's supervision before I can take the test and be licensed. And then I'll be an LCSW licensed clinical social worker. Okay. And I guess what, what got you interested in that? Because you and I talk a lot, right? I mean, like we've been very good friends for a long time, for decades now. And I don't know that we spoke much about mental health until yeah. Like the last couple of years, right. With a lot of the stuff that I've gone through, mm-hmm. but it never struck me as something that you would want to get into professionally. So like where, where did that, and for what it's worth too, and I don't know if you want to talk about this at all, but you've never come across as somebody who really struggles mentally to me. Anyways, mm-hmm. you've always seemed very self-assured and confident and kind of know what you're doing. And obviously there's these things that you've done with, kind of your faith that we might get into a little bit that's that's led you, I think, to sort of internally analyze yourself a lot yeah. um, and some of your beliefs potentially. Yeah. But you've never struck me as somebody who's like anxious or depressed or anything like that. Um, so I'm just kind of curious where that the interest came about to do what you're doing now. I think, I think one thing you said is the sort of just internal kind of reflection that I've always kind of been that way not always good at it not always didn't wasn't able to go too deep but i I also think you know you and i did that project that solid man kind of music project when was that like we're not like seven seven six seven eight years ago is it that long ago yeah well yeah it is and the point of that if if you remember was to put some music out that can be part of the like healing kind of process Right. For vet, for combat vets specifically, but any any you know sort of military deployed combat deployed related you know people who've done that, and I really got to the point where in my master's program in music where I was like I can use this to do good things with music, and that's the most exciting part of music for me. Um, I was also at a point where we moved away from a big music hub. We weren't, I wasn't in New York City. I wasn't in LA. I wasn't in Nashville. So it's like, you got to be realistic with what you, how much you can really work. So my 
intentions had to kind of expand to things that were not just performance and grabbing 200 bucks or 300 bucks a night for, for just playing guitar. And I was in the, involved in the church a lot. Those two things. And my faith really changed in a big way. And that's, you know, that's an understatement, right? Like, yes. Um, <laughs> over maybe the last five ish years. And I was working at churches a lot and leading music and really had to come to grips with what was really going on. Like what's really the point of singing a song together? Because I don't really believe a lot of these words I'm saying, they don't really mean anything to me. I don't, the, the sermon message that's preached just right now, I kind of don't really agree with, you know, both like abstractly and spiritually and morally even sometimes. So why am I here? What, what, what value can I do with music? And I had to kind of get down to the essence of what, prayer is what sitting together in a room with other people and, and, and saying kind of good, trying to talk about things that you believe are good uh, and music. So I was kind of really interested in that, but for me, yeah, I don't know if I've really even talked to you, you that much about it. That time after my, during COVID 2020, dude, I just said, I had shit for prospects, like nothing, like, and no real like vision of, of it's, of it going better. And that was a, I had to really face kind of some failure. Yeah. COVID brought a lot, you know, stunted a lot of the opportunities and removed opportunities, but still I brought the, my family, my wife and kids to this place out here in Colorado and there wasn't much going. And even if I could really do my best and convince everyone I knew to hire me, it wasn't going to amount to much. It would have taken years to kind of build something up. And I was just at this point where it's like, why did I keep questioned? Why did I keep pushing this? Why did I keep doing this pursuit in my life? I mean, I love it and I'm good at it in many ways In other ways, you know, there's you know, other people who are a lot better, but just facing, I think failure was, a was, well, really so tough. when you say, when you say that though, like the failure piece, is that, was that just like as a musician, that's how you saw yourself as like a failed. Yeah. Well, okay. Good question. Yes. And not so much a musician. I mean, I believed in my talents and skills, right? Yeah. Well, so and do I. Would, I. I would, and I, at that point, I was really comfortable performing in front of people too. That, take, that took a long time for me to really like be able to look people in the yeah. eye through mistakes, <laughs> through forgotten verses, words, and all, you yeah. know, through yeah, I, microphones going out and like the lights turning off for, for some reason, like just whatever, whatever. People yelling, people disagreeing with my performance. I experienced that for a while too. Really? Where? So, Hawaii. Where yeah. I mean, disagreeing we're, we're, in what way? So I performed every Saturday evening for a year, right on the beach at the yeah. Halekoa Hotel. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of local people there who, who didn't like that I was there and that the hotel had put me there to, perf to perform every week because they had their kind of crew um, so they felt it was kind of getting in on their territory. And while I was really good and I was, I was gathering people, there was just sometimes there, there, there was some, a few people, there's one guy in particular who really didn't like the fact that I wasn't wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I was wearing like a, just a t-shirt, right? Like that's cause, cause that's what I preferred. I wasn't playing Hawaiian music. Okay. You know? So wait, um, so these are locals yeah. that are disagreeing yes. with that. Yeah. They don't. Yep. They were also, probably pretty drunk every time that they would get to that. Sure. Point too, you know? 
it's it's just a group of people who drank at the at the benches out there every every weekend. Okay. So so yeah, so I've, so anyways, I was confident in me as a musician, but not confident in the opportunities that that there were opportunities and that I and then I think maybe as husband, you know, my the perception of myself as somebody who should be a husband, a provider, right? The person making things secure, the person who is um, just making sure that everything is, that there's security in people's lives, you know, financial security, all these different things. Um, and be honest, man, coming from a place like Naval Academy, when most of the people we knew, we know are doing really well financially at this point, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, actually, I would be my answer there because there's certainly yeah. people that are still like active duty and, in the military. And, and we know kind of what, I mean, you can look up online, find their, the pay yeah. scale there and what they're making. And it's, it's comfortable, and, obviously, but like people that we know, and I won't name any names, but have gotten out and gone to successful careers and in, in whatever it may be, whether that's small business or wall street or yeah. whatever. Yeah. There's certainly people out there and, doing very well, but I, I don't know if I would consider it like, Okay, a we don't even need to ask Chris. We don't even need to answer that question. Right. The issue was my perception. Right. Okay. Fair enough. And I and like I said, I lived in New York ten years, and we came across people that you know acquaintances yes. of yours and mine who were like, "Hey, I'm just going to make a couple million dollars over these few years and then try something else." And yep. they, and for real, and they would, and they did. Yep. And so here I am, just fucking scraping. Can I can I swear? Is that okay? Fine by me. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Just scraping by um, and without a lot of opportunities. So that just put me in a kind of a dark place. And I was not good about talking to my wife about it. That's that's another aspect. I want to talk about that concept because it's something I think about actually a lot these days, which is sort of what you're dwelling on, which is this idea of success and failure. Yeah. Because we, I think we define our, just like you're saying, right? We define ourselves so strongly by that concept in a lot of ways. And I think about it too, because I'm sort of like you in the sense that I've never gone out and tried to get a job that just made a lot of money. Um, I've certainly hoped for jobs that will make a lot of money, but I I mean, I currently work in nonprofit, right? And like, you're not going to make tons of money working in nonprofit and you're probably not going to make a ton of money doing what you're doing either. Um, And I've always tried to think, yeah, but that's not the that's not success, right? Like, or like try to make myself believe we shouldn't define success monetarily, right? We shouldn't think like that's what, but it's very hard to decouple those things because our society is very much set up in that way. And I think it does lead to a lot of us thinking regardless of how everything else might be going in our lives, right? We'll, we can, we'll look at that metric and be like, ah, but I'm still not, still not making all the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And have that yearning, Wh- whatever it may be for. Like I know in my case, I- I'm not interested in money for money's sake. I'm interested in money, quite frankly, for, because it gives you time and freedom of action. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's always what I thought. I've never understood people that make tons of money and then they just keep at it. And then they just, and they work themselves to the bone. It, like as far as I'm concerned, if you a hundred million dollars in the bank, like I don't know what you're doing working. Right. Really. Unless you love it that much it makes no sense to me. It's mm-hmm. like if I would then spend all my time doing 
whatever it is I wanted to do, whether that's travel or hang out with my kid, you know, whatever, just record music. So, um, but for me, it's always been about getting enough, being financially independent enough to, to then have that freedom. Right. Um, but even without that part of me says, yeah, but you should be like, this is a very stoic type thing to think, right. You should be able to say, yeah, but you can be happy regardless of what you have, right? Because yeah. because happiness is about not wanting anything from a stoic perspective. It's it's the it's the feeling like we don't have enough. It's the wanting of something that we don't have in the present moment that makes us then unhappy because it's like, well, I'm I'm not where I want to be, and yeah. then we of course we we've talked about this before, right? Then we lack presence and then we're off thinking about something else. So, so I guess I guess the question there would be did you think about that at all? Was or or at the time were you kind of just stuck on this idea of, hey, I'm a fa- I'm a failure or whatever? Or oh, like I feel like I'm so stuck, so absolutely stuck, and hadn't, I never really had to face really what I believed and what I was raised with and what I allowed myself to kind of to just you know the 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 things that I put value on. Never really had to face it. So here I am all of a sudden, like by, by a lot of things that were just sort of subconsciously values of my subconscious values of mine, right? Like I should be the one taking care of the wife and the kids, even if the wife works, I should, I should be the one um, going off Monday through Friday. I should be the one taking business trips, you know, so she can stay home with the kids. A lot of these are just cultural norms, right? Um, and it just wasn't working out that way. And I felt like shit. Um, and maybe it was also because this had happened over a period of time too. We lived in New York for 10 years and I was doing great there as, you know, as well as you can as a freelance performing musician. Then we moved away. Could we just got tired? 10 years in New York was enough with kids moved to New Orleans, tried to get some work going there. Didn't really happen. My wife got the job opportunity in Hawaii to get back on active duty had some music going there, but over all this time, it's like, it was just, I was kind of receding away from opportunities to that, that, that could pay any bill, you know, jobs that could pay the bills. So maybe it was an accumulation of time of just the stress of like, shit, it's still not happening here. Holding onto this belief, it's going to happen. The next thing that's going to happen is going to be really big. I just started like somebody was talking about Pete Carroll, the Seahawks coach. That's his, one of his big mantras. Like, the next thing that you have to believe, the next thing that's going to happen to you is going to be great. You know, how, that's how he deals with like failure yeah. uh, or, or challenges, right? I was doing that for years and years and years and it wasn't, just wasn't happening. And here I'm in Colorado and it's COVID and there ain't a big music industry here. And it's like, I got to face it. I got to face all this stuff I've been trying to do and believing about myself and just wasn't, didn't have the humility to like forgive myself for going through that for years and kind of putting stress on the, you know, a little bit of stress on the family as well. So did you ever think during that time though, cause I talk a lot about storytelling in my own experience of getting stuck in like a, a net. I hate the word. I hate thinking of thoughts positively and negative negatively. I'm a big proponent of like, it's either helpful or unhelpful, right? Like a negative thought isn't, a negative thought can be useful. A, a thought where you say, "I'm really out of shape, and I need to I need to get in the gym." Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that's negative, but if it inspires you then to like exercise every day, that's a that can be a useful thought, right? But I I talk a lot about this storytelling thing, like from my perspective, where I got into this storytelling of sort of very similar, right? This kind of, and mine was more professionally oriented back towards my time in the military, but of being a failure and letting people down and like a lot of guilt. And it just became this sort of mantra that was over and over in my head. Mm. And then, and that turned into physical symptoms and, and really sent me down a negative rabbit hole. And it wasn't until I started thinking, until I sort of woke up to the fact that I was just telling this story to myself that wasn't based in any, like no one else was telling the story other than me, literally no one else, even though I thought that, like, I think we, we've talked about this before, but we, I certainly spend a, a lot of time, way too much time or did not so much anymore, thankfully, but worrying about not what other people think of me, but what I think other people think of me. Right. Mm -hmm. And also believing that other people think about me a lot, which they don't (laughs) like (laughs) nobody does. Right. And we, we all, I think so many of us walk around with this idea that other people are thinking about us as much as we think about ourselves. And it's just not true. Right. Because like, all you have to do is look and look at your own thoughts and think, how much do you think about, other people, especially people yeah. you don't see all that often, right? And it's yeah. basically zero, right? Yeah. Um, and yet you're you're walking around with this 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 story, like in your case and in my case, yeah. that you're just like no one else is telling you this story, right? Um, at least I, I don't know. I mean, did you feel like anyone like in your family was making you feel this way? Were you purely? Was this purely just like Dude, we're going to turn all we're gonna load the rifles and turn them on ourselves and and like completely? Yeah. You know, so, yeah, this was this was completely internal, and you know maybe it was I don't know, maybe it was COVID related. I, I never really related it to the whole like the kind of world slowing down and having to deal with this sort of yeah pain of separation, all these things. Maybe that was part of it too, but it just hurt a lot. You know, well, I think, and, you know that point though. Just to interrupt you quickly, yeah, I think that's a really good point where. I, my senses, and I don't have any data to back this up really, other than sort of general trends out there of increased anxiety, increased depression over and, and sort of trending worse. You'd probably know yeah. better than me based on what you're studying. So correct me if I'm wrong here with any of this. But I think, yeah, the whole what what we did as a result of COVID had a probably had that same effect on a lot of people, right? Yeah. You're spending a lot of time by yourself um, or around a limited number of people. And so you're sort of forced to face potentially what's going on in your mind in a way where you can't be as distracted as you were before. Like you can still distract yourself with digital stuff, but you still. Yeah. That's not, that's not facing it. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case for a lot of people where it's like this sort of, lockdown, all this stuff that we had to endure for a couple of years kind of forced that upon people to some extent, right? Made them sort of evaluate where they were in life. Yeah. I think that's a real general statement that I see, I see in headlines pretty often. You probably do too. Yeah. Um, And, and for me, 
it's it's kind of cliche and kind of annoying now to see it on every single newspaper. You know, COVID did this to to a lot of people, right, and maybe right. you. Fuck, yeah, fuck off! Like let's let's keep moving forward. And at this point in my yeah, life, yeah, yeah. I got a lot going on, and I can move forward. Um, well, but well, yeah, you I know, think- one, one one interesting thing is that you know that statement that I said it just hurt, and you know, pain is processed. Physical pain and emotional pain are processed in the same. In one place in your brain, essentially, and so what we're, I think maybe we're, we we might be talking about or what, where this might lead is. Can you talk about that what, a little bit? If you can dig into that, just to yeah. So so perhaps yeah, it is. And I try to bring this up, man. I so let me just finish up. You asked the original question was why did you get into mental health? Yeah, right. this that is this is question. Yeah, this is late 2020 where I'm talking about where it's just nothing's going on and it's finally getting to me, right? And I started, I just started going back to some practices I had, which some quiet meditation and some affirmations. Paraphrasing here, dude, you're a good guy. You're a good husband. You're going to find something to do. Your wife loves you. Your kids think you're, you know, you're incredible. You are sit, you are raising them, et cetera, et cetera, right? I would say those things out loud and do some meditation. And I saw a therapist for a little while, probably could have benefited from seeing him more often, but I was kind of on this track of just kind of slowly stepping out of the fucking depth of that depression, right? Um, and I was using therapy and I was using all these tools and inter- interventions that so many different therapists help people use, you know, the tools or interventions that we use. So I get into mental health and I was really good timing. It was like, this is like December was December 2020 is kind of my low port low point the next March, three, four months later, I started the program and all this stuff just made a lot of sense. Anxiety and depression related, especially made a lot of sense. So now um, I meet with a lot of veterans who are anxious and depressed and especially a lot of combat vets who are repressing, you know, repressing emotions and trauma and pain, emotional pain from years and years ago, Vietnam vets that hold this shit down for decades, 50 years, some of them. Yep. And I try to talk about now getting back to that part of the brain and the other, the other counselor um, who's a former ranger brings this up a lot too with, with men. It seems to kind of, it seems to open a little bit of door to, towards having a little bit more vulnerable conversation about where we are as men, where we are with emotions, where we are um, in therapy and where we are with stress and anxiety and all these things that come from the pain that we've had in our life. Yes. The same part of the brain processes emotional pain and physical pain. What that means is symptoms can come from either of those sources of pain, right? And it can literally feel and do things to us. Depression can do something to you that feels awful, even though, it's up here in your head. Your body feels yep. like shit. Your chemicals are changing to a way that does not feel good anymore, right? So um, I'll just leave it at that. We can. <clears throat> yeah. Well, this thoughts? is no, I, I, a bunch on that. I mean, the first one I would say is yeah, that it seems obvious that of course your brain affects your body. Of course it does, right? Like, yeah. Everything we yeah. do is because our brain is tell, essentially telling our body to do it, right? Like the, yeah. the words that are coming Everything out of my mouth is. right now, 
yeah. me moving my arm, right? That's a signal from my brain that's creating a physical change, right? And then yet we, like in my case, when, I, when my anxiety started manifesting itself physically in sort of dizziness and brain fog and fatigue and all these things, you think that's, at least in my case, and a lot of people go down this road, you think that's got to be a disease or it's got to be a, and it doesn't occur to you like, well, that can just be your brain doing that to your body. Right. And, and, and it's strange that we don't make that connection that it's like, well, of course you can do that because we all know things like if you get nervous, right? Like, let's say you're going to give a speech or something like that. Yeah. We feel that physically whether it's butterflies in our stomach or we get nauseated or we sweat or we get hot yeah your blood pressure goes up your heart rating increases you you feel nauseous that's your stomach you know there's things happening there too all these systems are controlled by different parts of your brain yes and so if you just take a second to think about that it's like well just carry that same line of logic as, as far as you want to go with it. And your brain is extremely powerful in terms of physically yeah. changing your body. So then on the sort of the repression point, and this is something I talk about as well. I think I just wrote a, a blog article about it um, maybe two months ago called Learning to Cry, which was all about, and we were talking about this, I think the last time we spoke. Yeah. <laughs> We don't think of, or at least I never thought of, the fact that I could store emotion in my body physically. Yeah. Because it seemed like a bunch of woo nonsense. Like that's bullshit. What do you What do you mean I can store energy, energy, basically energy in my body, right? And it wasn't until I was, I had essentially done that for years, and I think this is something that a lot of veterans struggle with is. You have a job to do. It's generally speaking, you're sort of like, there's a lot of bravado and this feeling like you got, you know, you're not allowed to cry about things and, or you can't because it's like, look, we got a job to do here. So it's like, we just stuff all that down, but then we don't kind of go back and figure out a way to process that. Yeah. And I never, and, and I never thought, well, in my mind, I guess it was always like, yeah, but it's just, just goes away. Right. Like you, you have this feeling to cry yeah. or whatever. And it just goes away. And the, the analogy I now use is like, that's sort of like holding in a fart, right? <laughs> it's like, you can only do that for so long. <laughs> yeah. And, if, and it's, it's going to get painful. And eventually that's got to come out. And yeah, so gonna it to- it's going to be toxic at some point in your yes, body. Right, right. <laughs> um, so that's a crude analogy. But I think it's, yeah. it's appropriate because we've all done that at some point <laughs> for embarrassment reasons or whatever. <laughs> First date or something, right? It's like... You get in the car at the end of the night and finally like, Oh yeah. God, I can, I can. you're like, please, windows please get down. Get yes. the windows down. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just, I think it's really an appropriate analogy uh, yeah. because I, I think I used an example that you told me where you found yourself. I can't remember when this was, you were like driving somewhere and the song lightning crashes came on the radio and you yeah. just found yourself like in tears for no reason. Yeah. Like, where is this coming from? And I would find myself watching some cartoon with my kids that's sort of heartfelt and, or like Iron Man dying and, you know, yeah. oh, sorry, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen 
whatever end game <laughs> Avengers. Um, and I'm getting all choked up and it's like, why am I getting so emotional about this? And the answer was like this stuff from years was like still stuck in me. Right? Like it's, it's like gets locked away in places. Cause again, your body has to figure out something to do with it. And it was like, it, it was basically saying, Hey, this is an opportunity to get rid of this stuff. Like, are you going to let it happen or not? And for the, and I would still kind of push that down. And it wasn't until I started like leaning into that and being like, okay, this might be weird. And I may have to go off in a room by myself, but I'm really going to lean into that feeling and let myself cry as much as I possibly can. And the feeling of relief I would have afterwards was palpable. It was noticeable. Um, and it's also something that I could not believe how much of it was in there until I did some, some mm-hmm. things where I'd be, I did some stuff where I was crying for hours, like hours and loud and wailing. <laughs> yeah. and it was like, like, like a workout where in, I'd be <sighs> breathing in between this stuff. Yeah. And, and you're just amazed by, you know what I mean? Like, think about that, the, the amount of energy that's stored in you that's yeah. coming out through that. And I can only, so, so when you deal, let me ask a question then with that, right? When you deal with veterans, and again, obviously don't give me any mm-hmm. personal information here, but like, let's say Vietnam veterans um, who maybe have been doing that to your point for what, 50, 60 50. years yeah, yeah, I had a guy say it the other day. Fifty years, I've been I've been holding this in. Yeah, and do they realize that? Is it something that's boy? They look there's sideways and not understand it. There's so much to this question, and every person's different. But th- that example, a guy who saw awful, awful things as an 18, 19, 20 year old, right? Yep. Um, Friends being hurt, being killed, body parts, blood, kids, women, just name your awful, awful thing that they, you know, that you could see in that war, right? Boy, where do you start? Like, first off, we have to acknowledge our culture, our context here. You're a man. I'm a man. We come from this proud environment. You were in the SEALs. You know, I was Navy officer too, came from Naval Academy the guys don't cry in any, in any context, even at fucking funerals, part of my language, Yeah, you know? And what you're talking about storing energy. Well, yeah, it's, and so how, so what do people, your, I guess the question, your, your question is like, what do, how do you want people react when you start talking about this? They act the way they always have, whatever they're comfortable with, which is for the most part, continuing on this practice of repression Right. And squeezing it, um, squeezing it back. And only, you know, maybe you let just a little bit out at one time um, at some point. But what one, one possible way to address this is to put your traumatic, difficult experience, painful experience in context. That happened back in year 19, whatever, or, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan vets back in 2000, whatever. Okay, you are young, you are a young man in this context, your expectation, the cultural expectations were this and that, 
you growing up, you know, your dad raised you to be a strong man and to not show emotion to be tough. Okay, cool. That helped you in some ways. It certainly helped you in that difficult combat deployed environment. That was a good thing. Now you're 35 or you're 75 or you're 55 or 45. You're not in that environment. Now you want to not be holding in this and getting this kind of sickness, this, this emotional sickness that you're trying to hold down. You, um, you're okay. Maybe hopefully I'm talking to somebody who is, you know, maybe financially stable. Maybe they're stable in a relationship. You've got a wife, man. And for women too, you have a husband, you have kids, um, you have friends. Do you keep, you want to keep acting like you did when you were 20 years old? Because you're not in that environment more. You have an opportunity. And this gets to a whole big question that you and I have discussed many times before. Like you have choices here. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to change your habits, which are to repress. It's not fucking easy. It's not. Um, I had to, you know, sort of on my own, my, that example I gave of my experience, I had to learn how to let go of some things. And it took weeks and weeks before it was finally started to be like, okay, I kind of feel, I feel the weight of that starting to shift off of me and I can leave some of it behind. You know, that's, a, that's something a lot of people, they, they want the end result. If they can, if they can even face it. Yes, I do admit, I want that end result, but st taking that first step into this space of, yeah, but crying is not what I do. You know, okay, we got it. Now we got to address that first before we can take this step, you know? Yeah. So, so, so that's the, the kind of question you talk to people who feel that way, right? Like, I, that's no. not what I do. That's not. I talk, and I talk to people who are across the spectrum of this. Some people who don't want to do anything different. They won't even admit that it would be better to have a more vulnerable re relationship with their wife. They, they're just like, fuck that. You know, I, I'm just going to keep on drinking. And somebody, <laughs> you, you, we all know these people, sure. not, you know, that's not, a, that's not, a, that's not, I think what uh, the, the thing that, um, I try to impress, uh, I, I, obviously I'm not a, I'm not dealing with, I, I'm not counseling anybody, right. I'm, I'm sort of yeah. putting out broad information based on my experience that I think can kind of help people in general, just sort of like sort, sort themselves out. Right. But the, the distinction that I think is important, was important for me is it, we're talking, when I think about repression, right, yeah. it's, it's a physical catharsis that I'm talking about. Like you were actually, yeah. it's, it's taking the cap off the, the overinflated bicycle tire and like depressing the valve to, yeah. to let tension out. And that doesn't have to make you change the way you feel about any of this stuff it doesn't have to miss but you you in, in my mind like my experience it's we're talking about like quite literally detoxifying yeah. your your body like relieving s s toxicity and strain that is physically on you even if you you know what i'm saying like it's you can you can then kind of work on the the way you feel about any of this stuff but like that physical release i think is so critical because of well because you, again, you've, but chris you've come to a point where you have recognized that that's important for you sure and and then you came to the point where you're willing to to, to try it and yeah. then you came to the point where you're willing to actually go through with it and see it and feel it happening to yep. you but that wasn't i mean that did not happen easily or quickly, right? True. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just, I just, I just wonder if these, if folks have a difficult time decoupling that. You know what I mean? Like that, that idea, like yeah, but I don't cry. That's an attitude about sort of the nature of it, not. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's almost like prescribing something that's going to physically alleviate something where it's like, look, you don't have to change the way you necessarily feel about any of this stuff. But I'm telling you, if you can just let yourself do this. And, and I tell guys too, like I tell this story in the, um, that article that I wrote about going to see Top Gun Maverick. Right. And and the, the original movie, as much as I think I told you, I watched the original again with my kids like a couple weeks ago or a few months ago. And I just thought it was so dumb. Like most of it, it was so, <laughs> there's so much stupid stuff in it. And they're so, yeah. I said, you should call it sweaty people. Like they're so sweaty the whole time. There's everybody is so sweaty in that movie. Um, but, but still that movie for better or, wor- or wor- the better or worse, completely changed the trajectory of my life because I, that's the movie I saw that made me want to go into the Navy and originally be become a fighter pilot. And that's true for a lot of people. Like, I don't know what the numbers are from a recruiting standpoint, but that movie, I guarantee, mm-hmm. made a lot of us want to go do that. Yeah. So going to watch this sequel now, 30, whatever it is, 30, five years later, whatever it ended up being, if that's right. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, this will be fun and it'll be great. And I'd heard good things about it, but I was like emotional from the, from the word go. It was, mm. it was like, there was something about it that triggered again. And, and now I know to, to kind of uh, analyze this where yeah. there was something about it that triggered something in me that made me, like, again, my body was like, there's some emotion tied to this. And so the whole movie, I'm sitting there, like, getting all choked up and trying not, and, and it was great. Like, I really enjoyed the movie, too. I thought it was fantastic. But I could just feel all of this energy. Now, yeah. I'm still not at the point where I'm just going to break down and ball in the middle of a movie theater with all these people. In yeah, it, yeah. Right? I mean, for nothing else, it's distracting. And I'm not somebody who's just going to sit there and quietly sob to myself like my wife was next to me and she's kind of got tears a lot as well. Um, she's former military, former Navy. And she can kind of do that. If I'm going to go there, it's going to be loud and I just know the way it's going to be. And it's, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So the yeah, movie you have, And you also, have, you also have social awareness about you, which is, yes. you know, one, one side of mental illness is not being able to recognize what, like, norms and expectations are, where you just can't even spot it, whether you choose to agree yeah. with it and follow it. Yeah. yeah. So, but I was, again, I have the awareness now to think, okay, that needs to happen. Because if I don't let that happen, that's problematic. Yeah. So I kind of kept a lid on it through the movie, but kept it sort of at this just below boiling point um, spot. And luckily we'd driven two cars. So I told my wife, I'm like, take all the kids, like you're going to drive them home. And I got in my truck and for 15 minutes driving was just, well, in the parking lot for probably five minutes. But I mean, I was like wailing, crying loud. (laughs) And, and I, that's the way I do it now. But I, I, like let it happen. There was yeah. at that point there was no. I was not putting the brakes on it at all. It was like full on, let it go. Even go overboard a little bit. Yeah. Well, and let's again, talk about what what that is. What what crying is. You know. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. A physical 
body response to something, right? It's not just like, it's not just, you know, going back to like cultural expectations, it's not just like showing weakness. That's, that's not what crying is. It's something you're a human body. If you live in a human body, you're at some point, you know, it's going to, it's going to want your, your flesh is going to want yes. to cry. And there's a reason for that. Right. Yep. Well, do you, so do you have more, this is something I don't know, actually. Do you have more science on that? Like in exactly what's going on? I, so no, I, I probably have at some point. I can't, nothing comes to mind. I, I'm not the expert right now, but there is so much evidence research and so many things that we know now about, oh gosh, I have my favorite book here, by the way. So I don't know if people can see yeah, this. So that's, I, I just recommended that on my the body keep score. It blew yeah. my mind. I learned, I have learned so much about humanity from this book. And one, ex one example I wanted to bring up here is how, when you're young, a child in a development stage, and some physical threat happens to you, whether you are actually hit by somebody or you, somebody near you is hurt or threatened, um, you're, the stress of that goes into your brain and you hold it, right? Yep. Um, and the younger you are, the more it affects how your brain develops from here. And when we say how your brain develops, it's where the neurons are firing and where, you know, it's just kind of the, the habits that we get into. So it, I, I learned to understand from, from the study of early trauma that, boy, when you, these things, it, it, the body keeps growing. It doesn't go away. It affects everything. Right. It affects how right. you deal with it. So you might, I mean, I've seen people on the inpatient psychiatric clinic who, who curl, who just curl up on a ball and don't talk to anybody, fetal position. That's how they live their life right now. Yep. You know, one 19 year old girl that I saw a couple months ago, well, she was, she has a history of abuse when she was a kid. Yep. Um, and, and there's all kinds of dissociation and there's kind of, you know, anger responses and all this trauma that happens. So how do you release that from your body? Yes. You know, because you're still holding in the tension that you feel when those things happen. And, yeah. Crying is one way to do it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Right. Um, yeah. but crying is like the central sort of emotion, emotional release that our bodies know that we know. Right. And the whole point that I try to make is that it's an energetic response, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and unfortunately I think in Western medicine, especially we, th everything is chemically oriented. We think yeah. of ourselves as physical matter and we treat everything with chemicals, whether it's pharmaceuticals or whatever. And we pay almost no attention to the energetic side of us, which is what makes us alive, right? If you think about it, the difference between a dead person and an alive person, or think about it like a, you know, a dead brain and an alive brain, structurally, physically, exactly the same. The thing that makes the brain alive is electricity and energy, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's making us this body right now yeah. live, right? Um, I could be dead and the difference would be there's no energy associated with it anymore. But we sort of like dismiss that. Like it's not, like we're not energetic. And yeah, so right. things like crying, it's a energetic response and, and you have to dissipate that energy. Otherwise it gets stored in you. And again, I used to think that was nonsense. Like yeah. that was just, well, what do you, how can that, and it's, it's like, 
No, because again, it's got to go somewhere. And I mean, I've heard of people that get, and I, I don't know if this is factually true, but you can get things like, um, like myofascial release type things that'll trigger emotional reactions, right? Certain like pressure points or types of massage wow. or whatever yeah. um, in certain parts of your body will trigger even a memory from, I've heard of this happening. You know, again, I don't have the facts to back this up, but it makes sense to me. It's like yeah. your body is like, okay, I don't know what to do with this. This guy is not letting this out. We're going to stick it over here in this yeah. tissue. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, That's not my world either, but I, it does make sense that your nerves that it's, that you're sort of uh, triggering and yeah. Right. Flaring, I guess, if you, if you stick something in or pre a press or. So how do you deal with that then? Like how, when you're talking to people, what can, what works, if anything, to get somebody, if someone is stuck in that idea of like, yeah, but I don't do that. Right. Like that's not who I am. That's not what men do potentially, whatever they may say. What's, what's the kind of techniques that potentially gets people past that? Well, there's different ways to do it. And you can start internally, like cognitively, right? Let's just talk through some things. Like, um, What do you believe about men and emotions? And start peeling that back a little bit. Well, I don't think men should do this. Okay, over here. Do you also believe, do you also understand that you're storing up all this, this trauma in you? Do you understand that's why you're anxious and you're paranoid? And why you are having maybe some, some blood pressure you know, problems these days. Um, not making a direct relationship there, but, the, but the lots of different things in people's lives. Why you keep breaking up with women because you yell at them. Why they keep breaking up with you, right? Why you keep, why you have a bad relationship with your kids, you know, because you keep, you just keep fighting and accusing, you know, why do you, all these things in your life? Do you also believe it's good? to to kind of release some of this stuff and show yourself sometimes to the right people in the right moments emotionally you know yes yes and yes okay what's one place we could work on doing it that's just one example of how you could work with somebody another example is to and there's all these sort of evidence-based theories um to get people to go back and tell the stories of when they were hurt their painful experience and a lot of those modalities, those interventions, those techniques, uh, require, if you're going to do it, you know, in an, if your, your employer, your employer, like the VA may have to make sure you're actually licensed and certified in that too. Because when people start telling stories of traumas and painful experiences, it can get really problematic, right? Dissociating, mm-hmm. angry, not knowing what's going on, um, yelling, suicide, all these things. So there's, there's, has to be care. But another way to do it is just ex- externally onto your body. Let's go for a walk and talk about it. Um, a lot of people do, a lot of veterans do yoga, meditative yoga as therapy, because you're moving through your body and you're getting some things to, you're, you're out, your body is relaxing as you're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So you're getting your mind to accept, I'm in a safe space now too. Um, you can listen to music and do it, you know? Um, that's a, that's a big one. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's evidence now, you know, if you listen to music that is down at the resting heart rate or the, the BPM beats per minute, the tempo is down in there. There's evidence that it will calm your body down. And that tells your brain mm. through the, through the parents, parasympathetic nervous system, it tells your brain you're relaxed. 
that further calms your body down, right? So that's interesting. I I yeah. never heard that. That although that makes sense, a beat that's close, whatever it is, sixty beats per minute or something like that, yeah. right? Huh. That's yeah, interesting. 60, 70. Yeah. For some people it could be a little, you know, a resting heart rate could be higher or. Well, sure. Sure. Know. Can you talk? Uh, I mean, I know what this is, but just for anybody that doesn't understand the difference between sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. Can you yeah. 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 It's boy, I, I, w- I, I keep learning more about it. I am a novice, but it's, it is just fascinating. It's just incredible that there's kind of these two nervous systems that go from the, the stem of your brain through into your body and connect with everything, your organs and your nervous system. You, you know, um, and they control your heart rate and they control your breathing, right? Every, I mean, stomachs and kidneys and all these different things. And um, the, the way I've heard it described is the sympathetic nervous system is kind of the arrow up. When that thing gets activated say, you know, you're in a situation where something alarming happens, like all of a sudden you're awake and you're, and you're going, right? The parasympathetic, sorry, the sympathetic nervous system cranks it up. The parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of like, a, again, comes, it comes from your brain and connects to everything in your body, is, is the thing that helps you back down. Right. And it doesn't, doesn't back you down so far that you fall asleep and then, you, you know, 10 beats per minute and then you're like, you know, it's not that. It gets you into your resting place. And right. both are necessary for us to survive and to live. Right. But good Lord, so many of us, and especially in the environment we're talking about, the context, right? Military and combat vets, people who've experienced pain, painful things and, and traumatic things, they spend an awful lot of time cranked up. Yep. Right? Yep. And so yeah. that's why it's good to know for every human being on the planet, especially in our society of anxiety, right? Like, it's good to know these things that you can actually affect yourself, influence what's going on with you right now. It's hard to do. We'd rather get on our phones and just be distracted and avoid it, right? Right. But well, things I learned to do, you know, meditative practice, affirmation, right. quiet time, exercise. Um, yeah, those things do back you. Yeah, because what I found with myself is that – and it's hard. It's I don't know that you can measure it in any way. Yeah. Um, at least I don't know that there's. There probably is. I'm sure there's some way these days with some biometric tracker or something like that where you can tell if you're like heart rate variability. I think has something to do with it. Although I'm not that versed in it, but tell if you're sort of in sympathetic mode or parasympathetic mode. But yeah, I know for myself, I definitely felt that where that sort of state of hypervigilance always in fight or flight. And it's like, you're never decompressing, even though you think you are, you go to sleep every night, but your body really doesn't go into that rest and digest mode. So therefore it's like your organs don't work exactly properly and you have stomach problems, right? Or you don't, you know, you have digestive issues and things like that because your, your body is just never getting into that mode. And it was, and it's like, oh, well, all I have to do is go take a nap. And it's like, yeah, in my experience, you you need to be more, I don't want to say aggressive, but like more active in, you have to like turn it on because what you've done, at least yeah. in my per, my kind of experience is I've like overwritten my circuitry to some extent through my actions yeah. to always yeah. be in sympathetic mode. Yeah. And I've done we that over a Go ahead. Can I pa- pause you right there? And what yeah. we should point out here is 
your brain has been trained to do that. Yes. This is not some like woo woo abstract spirituality. This is your, your, the neurons in your brain have one person described it to me as it's like grooves with your habits or grooves. It's not that you can't get out of them, but your, the neurons form and connect in a certain way that your behavior, it's not just behaviors, but your bodily functions, right. Right. Get become a certain thing and a certain tendency. Right. I just want right. to point that out because it's not, it's not the discussion here. I appreciate what you, what you are doing here is just very matter of fact. Yeah. This is, you know, it's, it's science you know? <laughs> from Anchorman. It's got a bad rap these days. Right. Science. It's like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I think we sort of intuitively think, well, all I've got to do is go sit by the pool or take a nap or have a cocktail or something. And, that should kind of fix these things. And it's like, to your point, no, it's sort of, it's who you are now. Yeah. You are, you are your habits. You are an amalgamation of a, of a bunch of patterns. And that's what makes you, you every day. That's what makes you feel like there's a continuity of, of you from one moment to the next. Yeah. And if you have, to your point, created these, the grooves, um, that are always in this mode, well, that's the way you're gonna be carried forward. You have to actively overwrite the software, yeah. right? You can't just reboot the computer, you can't just control alt delete and take a nap and wake up. It's like, no, we have to actually go in and write new stuff on top of it. And the way you do yeah. that is through um, actually acting in a new way. Right. Like yeah. I have to like pro I have to do stuff that's creating a new pattern of behavior, um, whether that's meditation, yoga. Chi- I'm a huge fan of Qigong. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's kind of movement and breath work and sort of I mean, chi is energy. Yeah. And I really find it effective, but it takes work. And I think that that's the part that people struggle with. It's yeah, because we so, feel like work is. Work is a struggle, right? Um, but we, most of us, especially that come from sort of backgrounds like ours, we equate it with things that are physically sort of demanding and working out hard and working like working late and like I get, you know just go harder and go faster and and everything. And it's it's this sort of weird dichotomy of struggling to do something that's decompressing you. Right. Like it's, which is weird for a lot of us. Like, what do you mean I'm going to sit there and just think or try not to think, notice my thoughts for 20 minutes. Like that's not, that's a waste of time. And it's, it's like, no, believe it or not, that's a really good use of your time. Yeah, Um, You might feel like you're doing nothing, but you're doing a lot. And maybe the fact that it is so hard to do that should clue us into the fact that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not real good at relaxing and slowing down. And start and thinking in like a self-compassionate kind of way. Yeah. Maybe I'm actually not good. Maybe the fact that it's really hard to sit here, you know, and not grab my phone and scroll through stuff and not, and not get up and get, do something else because that's hard to just sit and relax, get your body, your own self, right. To relax. Maybe that shows you that we're not in such a good place, but this, I like what you're saying because this all gets to the whole con, the whole question dilemma concept of, like, what really can I change? You know, I think there's a big part of our culture that 
has no interest in change in ourselves. And a lot of us carry that. We're taught that and we, we've subscribed to that over our life. So that's a thought pattern, right? That we can't change. Yeah. And I remember hearing one, one person one time, they were talking about how when you hold, they're talking about the, the negative bias that our brains have, and I won't go into all of it, but he's basically, he, then he, he then went on to say, if you, fo- you, ha- you have to focus on a positive thought about yourself longer if it's going to stick with you and you're going to start believing it than a negative thought. That's just, that's a scientific fact. It's measure, measured in research. It's like 22 seconds. You have to just stick with it and then it'll stick with you longer. And the person who was explaining this was, was made the point. So you see, when you think about like positive stuff about yourself and other people in your situation, you're changing your brain. And the other person was like, well, you're all, your brain is always changing. Correct. Yes. It's just everything where, you do changes your brain. Wherever, right. wherever you are right now is where you have come to. And yep. where you're going to be in 10 years is probably, it's going to be yep. different in some way. Do you want it? Well, I guess the question is, what do you want it to be, right? Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that's so difficult about some of this stuff is we we like things fast, right? We want yeah. to like oh, take yeah. a drug and it fixes me or whatever. Like I'm going to go do some some treatment and like it's going to fix me. And And you have to recognize that you like in my case, our case, it's taken 47 years to be, to create what exists as me right now. Yeah. And it's not going to take 47 years more to, to completely change to whatever, but it's like something where you have to adopt a practice that's going to slowly change you over time. Right. That's going to slowly sort of degroove some of these things and create to your point, like create a habit of, positive thinking in certain circumstances to create a habit of being able to process emotions. That's not going to happen overnight. The same way if you've never worked out in your life and you want to go run a marathon, it's not like, well, I think I'll work out a couple times and I'll just go for it. Right. And I'll be fine. Like that's not going (laughs) to, I love that example with ex military, especially because we all had to go through boot camp and had to go through some type of physical, regular physical training. Right. Right. regimens and expectations and obviously you can't just drink beer and sit on the couch for three weeks and then get up expect to get a really fast mile and a half time right okay right and 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 it's no different in in your in your mental health to your physical mental health that's this is your body we're talking about right and it's like and it might be uncomfortable and painful at first too If you yeah. have never run or you stopped working out and it's been a few years, when you start again, it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful and you're not going to see results right away. You're going to be sore and it's not like the, yeah. you know, the beer gut's going to disappear after one day. So, but unfortunately, again, when we comes to kind of like this mind fitness model, we think like, oh, I tried meditating once. It didn't work. And <laughs> it didn't like, work. Well, yeah. What do you mean it didn't work? Like, like, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta stick with that, man. You gotta, you gotta yeah. try that for a, at least a couple of months and, and kind of get the hang of it to some extent to even see some results there. And you just can't expect anything different out of it. You know? Yeah. Can you, I'm just curious for you. I mean, would you mind sharing something where that you've gone through and, you know, cause I, I related my experience of just believing a bunch of that I, that I had failed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like real deeply held that it's just, it just kind of came up one day 
like, oh shit, that's what it is. I feel like I failed. And slowly, like I said, had to take one step forward out of that. Yep. Can you give an example? Um, I mean, I still do it. So it's like I yeah. still, on a day-to-day basis, I think the one, I'll give you the, mo- the most recent example that I kind of clued in on. And it, look, and we both know the thing that's nice about picking up a meditation practice, hopefully, is that it's not then something you apply just to like, okay, these 20 minutes a day or whatever it is, 10 minutes, I'm going to pay attention to my thoughts and the rest of the time I'm just going to go back to being completely oblivious to the, to like the fact that these thoughts just show up in my mind. It should make you more aware the rest of your time where you're trying to be present. You're trying not to get lost in thought about the past or the future. And you're noticing things that you're thinking that are not helpful. Right. Or when you get stuck on a thought. And the one that I've realized recently, and I put out an Instagram post about this was what I say to myself when I work out. And I'm somebody who's worked out like his entire life and still I do it daily. Like I take my physical fitness very seriously, but God, I say a lot of negative shit while I'm working (laughs) out. Like it's all just about being in pain and wanting it to be over. And this is, again, I go into this like wanting to do it every day. And, and I just have this pattern of, Oh, this sucks. And it's like, I'm so out of breath and I'm exhausted and, or even thinking like this is um, because of some of the physical issues I've had chronically, like this might make things worse for me. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so I've really had to try to change that. And I catch myself doing it all the time still where I'm like, I'll be, you know, rowing or something like in the middle of these intervals and I'd be like, what am I thinking right now? I'm thinking the negative shit again. And I've keep trying to flip that script to, and I did it today working out. And like, you just find there's no reason not to do that. And like you, I find I actually feel a little bit better in the workout when I start telling myself any, anything positive, this wow. is healthy for me. This is making me stronger. Yeah. This is a good thing I'm doing. You know, and I am, I'm starting to like even write it on, I've got a whiteboard in my gym, like write, write a mantra up there before you start working out. Yeah. That's positive. So if you, yeah. if nothing else, look at that, like remind yourself, oh yeah, think that, right? There's no reason not to do it. Um, and it's only helpful. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, I, I've spent so much time lost in negative thought patterns. Yeah. And again, I don't like that term unhelpful, useless thought patterns. Yes. Right. Yep. Unhelpful Um, is is a word I use a lot. Yeah. 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 Because, because it, because that, that implies we recognize our context and we, and we want to be, we, there's something we can do to make this better. It's not like for all of humanity, for all of time, this is the challenge, you know, 10 million years ago when there were cave people walking around, like they didn't have time to sit around and think about this stuff. They had to make sure that they had a fire going and they had an animal Mm -hmm. that was killed that they could eat. (laughs) Um, uh, And so today, what the context, I guess we, we wrestle with is just so much negativity in our culture. Right. And so much sort of insecurity, whether we even would recognize it as such or not. But I do, and I don't think we even realize this is, I think, where I probably was going, where I was trying to go with the COVID stuff is we don't realize mm. how much, and this goes back to a lack of awareness, how much these things affect us. Because to your point, we just want distractions these days. Like we don't yeah. even want to deal with what we're, but we, we're still thinking stuff. 
right? Even when we're scrolling on our phone, there's stuff going yeah. through there, but we've, we've gotten ourselves so distracted where we're so not clued into the things that are going on in our head and yeah. they're, be, they're becoming le- probably less and less helpful because there's so much sort of anger and vitriol and negativity that's pushed on us every day through social media, through the news, through, right? Like stuff, everything's, you should be afraid of everything and angry yeah. about everything. And, and then we sort of like turn into junkies on it. So it's like we wake up every day and we're addicted to anger and we're addicted to fear yeah. and, and, and we just don't even realize it because it's like we're addicted to the distraction of it. Yes. Right. And if we could just take some time to go, you know what, let me put all this stuff down yeah. and like just, just examine what's going on in my own head. We would, we'd be so much better off and it's so much more beneficial. Yeah. And for a lot of us, I think you and I are probably similar this way. We, we didn't start really doing this till recently in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really taught to me. It wasn't really something I sought or valued. I was kind no. of forced into it to, to, re, to, to uh, come to terms that, that I need to know this stuff because yeah. if I'm going to, if I'm going to come out of this shit that I'm feeling, I got to know what it is and why it is. Yeah. I never thought until my mid forties that I could yeah. separate myself from my own like I didn't have to identify with my own thoughts. Yeah. I just thought that's, yes, I'm, I am my, what do you mean? I'm not my thoughts. But then as soon as I started, you brought that up before a lot of conversations we've had. I love, I love that. That challenges me every time you say that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, because most people do it. It's like, I am my thoughts. That's me. And the first time when I first started meditating a couple of years ago, and look, I'm not like somebody who, I think this is important too. I think people get wrapped around the axle. Like you got to get all this meditation in it, right? It's like, it's a tool and you got to figure out how to utilize it and you make it work for you. But even just the first time you can kind of clue into the fact that this, you're, you're not in control of your thoughts. They just pop up. The first time you sort of close your eyes and do some meditation where you're not, again, you're not trying to control anything, not trying to, you're just trying to, see what happens, notice what's going on in your own head. And you realize, yeah, I'm not controlling any of this. It's just showing up. And, and I, I can observe that. And if I can observe that, then I can treat it just like any other, um, any other narration out there, right? Any other stream of information on the television, on the radio, on my phone. Um, I can I can treat, I like to think of it like the music on my phone, right? If I've got, if I've got my phone yeah, plugged into my good. truck and it's just, and I've just got it on random, right? Just playing random songs. I don't, I'm not controlling the next song that shows up and I can either, a song will come on that I'm like, oh yeah, I love that song and I can really get into it or I can go, ah, skip, right? I can skip over that song. I don't, not feeling that right now. Or if it's like yeah. Spotify, I don't even like that song we can do the exact same thing with our own thoughts, right? It can be, Oh, that's really useful. Like, let me dwell on that. Or, Oh, that's, I don't need to spend any time paying attention to that, but that's not what we do for the most part. Right. We we think I've got to listen to this song. Right. And I've got to believe everything that it says because it's me. And (laughs) right. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yes, I, I live this experience deeply. And I just want to point out 
I don't know how many people are going to listen to this. Not everyone's going to really understand. Both of you. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Appreciate it. (laughs) Yes, sir. And ma'am. Thank you. Um, Not everyone can, can follow this necessarily right now. Right. A lot, a lot of people today can though. And it's for me, it's such a profound, like life changing experience to come to that realization too, because then you spot what the messaging is that's coming at you better in our culture. I can turn on any news source and just from the headline, from the topic, I can see where they're coming from and I can, I can keep a step away from it. So it's not getting me fired up. You know, you know, this is, you know, you're being threatened and your well being is being threatened and your job's being threatened. And you know, of course that's going to get your attention. If you know how your amygdala amygdala works, that's the stuff that gets your attention the quickest and it shuts off. When your amygdala, your fight or flight, right? This is what happens when we're suddenly alarmed or threatened or something's, you know, happening. Why is there a truck speeding toward me? You know, suddenly I'm popping, right? But when that happens, I got lots of adrenaline. I got muscles. I can run. I can lift heavy things. I can grab my kid and get out of the way. But I cannot sit down and reason and think and love and feel compassion and these other things that I do want in my life because those parts of the brains of the brain are shut down when the amygdala takes over right flight and this gets back to uh, the back to the discussion about um you know do you believe you can really change you know and you we all can to an extent and i another thing i want to add to this discussion is how you know there's a there's a type of kind of psychotherapy called cognitive behavioral therapy it's Mm -hmm. real popular in america cbt you recognize in this therapy, it, it's all about self-awareness, about awareness of your emotions and your thoughts and how they affect your behaviors, right? And sometimes you have behaviors that we do and then we have beliefs about them. Oh my God, I'm such a jerk for doing this again. And I keep doing this. And I, dr- I drank another six pack last night and I ate 10 Oreos before I went to bed. You know, whatever, whatever the situation that's causing problems in your life, emotions pop up. And we can't really control emotions all the time. And that's one, that's one thing that cognitive behavioral therapy sort of emphasizes, mm-hmm. but thoughts, yes, thoughts pop up and you can put them in their place, but you can start to affect them a little quicker than you can, like your emotions around something. Yep. Um, you know, if somebody cuts you off, you know, I'm angry about that. Yeah, that's okay. Feel angry. Now come over to the sort of more reasoning side. Why, why are you angry about that? Why is this such a right. big deal right now? Right. Nobody's hitting you. Your kid's safe in the backseat. Um, you're still on time. You know, all, all these kinds of things. Yes. And, and actually with the emotion thing, it's interesting, right? So I think of emotions like a, um, like a reflex, right? Yeah. So it's like that, yeah. that thing that doctors do where they hit your knee with the little <laughs> yeah. rubber yeah. mallet and your leg kicks out. Yeah, my 10-year-old thinks like, that's the most hilarious thing on the planet. Is, is that. Who does? <laughs> my 10-year-old, Jackie. Oh. <laughs> when I do it, she's yeah. just doing it again. Oh, my God, that's so crazy. Yeah. Um, but that, that to me is a lot like emotional reaction. Um, yeah. And that's why we call it a reaction, right? It, like yeah. To your point, someone cuts you off, you feel a certain way. But the difference is, just like a reflex, to your point, you can spend an extremely small amount of time on that emotion if you choose yeah. to. You can go, oh, I don't need to do that, right? So like in my mind, anger is 
an, is by and large a fairly useless emotion, right? Like yeah. it, it's something yeah. un, unless you, if you can truly analyze it and feel like this is serving me right now, which most of the time isn't true, you should be like, I recognize that. Don't need to spend any time on it because anger. The thing that anger is so interesting too because it's directed at somebody else, but it's it's basically just hurting yourself, right? Like, can I point out something else that there yeah. too? Anger most often comes from a place of hurt, mm. and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to f- admit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why Why are you angry when you watch? such and such news source and they're talking about this topic you know why yes. why why are you angry when your wife or your spouse says something to you and snaps at you you know it doesn't mean she's like a, all of a sudden a bad person why why really what's going on underneath that anger that's a really interesting question for me in my life and i pose it to a lot of other people and it's tough and really yeah really- yeah but to that point so is there a reason why like the, the example you gave earlier, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you get angry. Yeah. Is that something where there's like a, you know, pain under that? Or is that just right? Or is that almost like just a programmed I, response? Um, could be. And I, I like what you're saying. Like I, I work with a therapist who makes a difference, who, who, who differentiates when they talk about response, sorry, reaction and response. The reaction mm-hmm. is just what pops up. Hard to really stop that or, change that but your response then to your reaction is what you can what we can work on and you know um as far as driving goes yeah i i'm i am supposed to get to where i am going right that's for me for me that's what it is i got my agenda here i am very important when you cut me off and you step in front of me in front of the line in front of me i don't suddenly you're telling me i'm not as, as important as you you know and right under that is it for me is a level of insecurity. So it's interesting you bring up the anger thing. This is what I'm uh, the article I'm going to do for September is about this topic because it's, you know, I don't know why, but whatever I feel is most relevant like in my mind is what I kind of go towards, but I thought about this recently because I was noticing in myself that tendency, certainly driving is one where you you end up muttering stuff or yelling stuff. <laughs> yeah. And and it's so useless. You're like, what? that person can't hear me. I don't know this person. I'm literally just winding myself up for no reason. Yeah. But then I would, I started noticing myself doing it in other circumstances, sitting at a desk working during the day. And let's say a bunch of emails come all in all at once and a phone call at the same time, or I'm on a Zoom or something. And, and you fi- I find myself doing these things like, like, God, fucking stop it or whatever, right? Like, yeah. What's like, God, all these emails, there's something like that where I'm angry at inanimate objects. <laughs> yeah. I got so pissed or at I my phone, phone this some, morning for something. Right. Yeah. What, some, right. Some app was really slow and I was cursing at it. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Something like that. And, and if you, again, if you take a step back, you go, what am I doing? Why, why in God's yeah. name am I having this type of yeah. reaction? And I still find myself doing it again, but like trying to clue in on that and go, this is, this is worthless, right? This makes, <laughs> this is not yeah. helpful in any way, shape, yeah. or form. And for me, it helps to just, to rec, to, to accept my response and try, you know, recognize it, you know, why did I, why did I, why was I cursing at my phone? Like using the F word with my, with an app, partly because I'm, I'm tired. I haven't been sleeping great this week. I got a, a kid who's sick. Um, I'm just, 
lot of work, you know, so maybe I'm just like a little short tempered. I don't have the, the rest. Um, you know, I just try to figure it out. And, I, I, and so I, what I give myself, there's just a little kind of compassion, like, all right, so I can, so I can move on to something else and not just keep being like, keep being either angry or then frustrated that I'm angry and there's more and, you know, building and holding and keeping it together. Just right. the way I get right. past it is to recognize why. Uh, so we're coming up on an hour 20 here. Um, yeah. and I think probably should wrap this up here in the next yeah. five to 10 minutes. So is there anything else that you topic that you really want to hit on? And we, obviously we can do this again. I think we should. Let's uh, just plan on doing more of these. Yeah. We got, for sure. you and I got a lot of topics we can hit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so want to end it there for, for today, mm-hmm. for first one out of the gates. Yeah. So I think it was great, man. We covered a lot of good stuff there. So, yeah. um, so s- stick, stay on here. Once I stop okay. recording, <laughs> forgot to say that at the beginning. Um, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks.